Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join our lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, for the message, Since We're Saved. All right, so as we've uh, been studying the opening words of Peter's inspired letter, I gotta tell you that I have been absolutely amazed, once again, at this great salvation that God has provided for us as his children. And so when it comes to our redemption, do you remember this from last week? The Father thought it, the Son thought it, and the Spirit wrought it. All right, so the Father thought it. That means, as Peter said, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Son bought it. What does that mean? That he, as we're gonna see, as the precious, spotless lamb, right, he shed his blood in order to purchase your freedom. He bought it. And then the Spirit wrought it. That means the Holy Spirit came and he began to woo you and draw you. And when you believed, he made you new. He regenerated you. He gave you a new birth. And not only that, he started you on what's called the sanctification process. And so our salvation is so awesome. And you say, what are you doing here? I'm just kind of reviewing the opening words of Peter in this letter. But our salvation is so awesome. It includes a new birth in this life but not just that, a new body and a new home in the next life. And if that's not good enough news for us, if that doesn't move us, if that doesn't make our hearts leap a little bit, you gotta understand that your inheritance, if you know Christ, and if you have a relationship with Christ, your inheritance is up there in heaven and it's being kept for you. But not only is your inheritance being kept for you, you as the bride of Christ, you as a child of God, you're being kept, you're being guarded. You're being preserved so that one day you can receive that inheritance and it's all by God's grace. The New Testament says that you, if you know Christ, are the bride of Christ. And that's gonna be one of my main themes that I'm tying in to the passage today. The church is the bride of Christ and as such, we have a great salvation. And so since we are saved, how in the world are we supposed to respond? As we go through our text today, here's what we're gonna find out. Since we're saved, number one, we should be hopeful about the future. And by the way, in the culture, the word hope means hope so hope. You know, I hope it happens, it might not, but you need to know that in the New Testament, when you see that word hope, it's not hope so hope, it's no so hope. <laughs> it's gonna happen because God's batting a thousand and he always keeps his promises. We should be hopeful about the future. Number two, we should be holy in the present. And number three, we should honor the lamb, how often? Always. All right, and so let's dig in. If right now you're looking at a Bible, either on your phone or the one you're holding in your hand, and you're looking at 1 Peter 1.13, can you, can you just say amen? I know you guys are with me. So if you're new to Calvary, this is what we do. We go verse by verse. He says, therefore, all right, so whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what's that therefore? Well, because of the opening words of Peter, the great salvation that God has provided, therefore, church, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, here it is, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you 
I love this, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so if you're taking notes, since we're saved, we should be hopeful about the future. Hopeful. And so Peter just said it in verse 13. He's writing to the Christian community. He's writing to people who've been born again. He's writing to people who understand there's no way they can work their way to heaven. They need to trust the finished work of Christ on the cross. He died and he rose again. He's writing to the bride of Christ. And what is he saying in verse 13? He's saying that we need to set our hope fully on the grace that will be, that will be brought to us at the, look, listen to this, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so why should we be hopeful about the future? Here's a good reason why. Jesus is coming again. He's coming back. And it's not maybe, he will. Absolutely. The groom will come back for the bride because there's a wedding that's awaiting us in heaven. Now how's this gonna go down, him coming back for the bride? Well, Paul told us in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. He said, for the Lord himself will, not maybe, I'm gonna say it again, God's batting a thousand, he's never, ever not kept a promise. And so, whether we believe it or not, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then Paul says, then we, I love that because Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the son, only the father. And so even the apostles like Peter and Paul and John had no idea when this coming of the Lord for his church, his bride would happen. And I am persuaded after years and years of studying the New Testament that God wants every generation of Christians to live with the hopeful expectancy that he could come in our lifetime. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, all right, in harpazo in the Greek, uh, it's rapimur in the Latin Vulgate, very similar, rapimur to our English word rapture, the snatching up. So we who are alive and who are left will be raptured, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what in the world to say to you this afternoon. And so if you're taking notes, we should be hopeful because the rapture's coming. Question is, are you ready? And am I ready? And so one day the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. And here's what's gonna happen. He's gonna bring the souls of believers who've already died and went to heaven. He's gonna bring those souls with him. And by the way, this whole rapture thing, when you Google it, don't believe the people who say this is some fringe doctrine in the, ch doctrine in the church. No, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is no fringe doctrine. This is what the New Testament teaches. Christ will come and he will descend and he's gonna bring the souls of those who've already died in Christ and have gone to heaven. He's bringing those souls with him. And when they hit the earth's atmosphere and they hit the clouds, Jesus is gonna put on his brakes and the souls 
of those who've already died in Christ are gonna keep going down, 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 all the way to their grave, and their soul is gonna reunite with whatever is left of their physical remains. Dust, bones, who knows, doesn't matter. God can make life out of death. And in an instant, when that soul reunites with those physical remains, in an instant, they will rise as the resurrected bride of Christ. It's gonna be an awesome thing. And you say, well, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm sure because I know that God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker, and he just said it, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then when they go up into the clouds to return to Jesus, that's when it's gonna happen. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a generation of Christians who will not die. I hope it happens in our lifetime. And so then it's gonna happen. What's gonna happen? We, who are alive and remain on the earth, walking around, are gonna be caught up to meet them and the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit led Paul to write concerning the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to set our hope fully Verse 13 in our text, 1 Peter 1.13, we, church, are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, just like the dead went up into the clouds, right, in their resurrected bodies, so we are also gonna, if, if we're alive during the rapture, we are gonna also be caught up into the clouds, but we're not gonna be caught up as the resurrected bride of Christ, we're gonna be caught up as the glorified bride of Christ, why? Because for a resurrection to occur, there has to be a death first, but there's a generation of Christians who will not die, we're just gonna go up. It's an amazing, amazing hope that we have. And you know what's sad to me? Is the church is no, no longer even preaching this, so many churches. First Corinthians 15, 52 says, all this will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Everybody blink? That's how fast and we're there, but there's more. I feel like the salesman, but wait, there's more. We should be hopeful, not only because the rapture's coming, but because we're going to the Father's house. This is the inheritance of the bride, the Father's house. Now I put it on the screen last week, I'll just quote it to you now. Jesus said to the bride, his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Here it is. In my, letter B, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go as the groom and prepare a place for you, the bride. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, not maybe, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Do you know those words from Jesus in John 14, one through three are very different from Revelation 19 when he's coming back as a warrior to um, engage in battle at the Battle of Armageddon. You know why it's different? Because there's two phases of his coming. Church family, hear me, you're the bride of Christ. You don't get wrath, you get grace. 
Why? Because Jesus already took your wrath on the cross. Get that into your mind and get that into your heart. In ancient Galilee, a Jewish couple who wanted to get married went through two ceremonies. You know this from the Christmas story. And so first there was the betrothal ceremony, and then there was one year, and then there was the wedding ceremony. And so the betrothal, <clears throat> the betrothal ceremony <clears throat> took place, and basically what that was, was it was the bride's uh, family, and they, they drew up this contract, and it was signed between the families, and so they're betrothed. They're legally married, but for one year, here's what you gotta hear, they were separated. So they did not live together before the wedding ceremony. By the way, our culture could really uh, listen to this and apply it to their life. Church family, we should not live together before the wedding ceremony. You say, are you kidding me right now? Have you looked around? You know, the vast majority of the culture lives together before the wedding ceremony because you ought to, you know, you ought to Test drive the car before you buy it. <clears throat> here's, here, here's what I know. I'd rather follow God's wisdom than the culture's wisdom. And if you want God's blessing on your marriage, follow God's wisdom. And so here's what I know. Here's what I know. The betrothal ceremony took place and they, did, they were not intimate, they did not live together for one year. And then there was this wedding ceremony. And during that year, uh, here, here's what would happen. The groom, he would go and he would prepare their new home. This is the ancient Galilean wedding. And uh, often it was just him adding a space to the father's house. And then during that year, she's hanging out at her father's house and she is eagerly anticipating the day. And she didn't know the hour. She didn't know the day. She knew pretty much the time frame, it's a year, but she's eagerly waiting for that time when her groom comes and takes her to the father's house. And then when that, when, when that time finally came, you gotta know that the groom was very excited. When the dad said, hey groom, time to go get your bride, he was pumped up. I mean, how, guys, how many of you husbands were really excited on your wedding day? One guy in the back, and I just, I saw your hand. Yeah, but here's what I know. Okay, so we got one guy who, who was really excited, and it's kind of like that shout before the rapture, by the way. Woo, right? And all the rest of you guys are now officially in the doghouse because you showed no excitement. I'm gonna get you out of the doghouse. I'm gonna give you another chance for all you married guys and your wife is sitting next to you. How many of you were excited on your wedding day? Yeah, all right. Way to go, guys. And so he's excited and he comes. And you know, in this ancient Galilean wedding, he would come with his groomsmen. Where? To get his bride. And you gotta know, when he came up to her daddy's house, somebody shouted, right? He's here, he's here! And she would come out, and she'd come out with that beautiful white dress with her bridesmaids. And here's my favorite part of the story. At that point, the bride and the groom, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, here's what they would do. 
they would go on this joyful parade, this joyful procession to their new home, the couple's new home. And where was that home so often? At the groom's father's house. At some point in all of this, there was this wedding ceremony, lots of festivities. Sometimes these weddings, they would celebrate for seven days. These people knew how to party. And after the wedding ceremony, the husband and the wife, the happy couple, would then live together and they would fully express their love for one another. What a beautiful picture of what Christ is gonna one day do for his bride, the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And here's what you need to know. As you read the Gospels and you think about this, Jesus was a Galilean and he's speaking to their culture. He's talking about so often in these parables, this, this wedding, and we don't get it because we're 2,000 years later and we're here in the West and we're not getting all of this of what he's trying to say, but you need to know this. If you belong to Christ, one day he will come and he will take you to the Father's house. And guess what's gonna happen? Celebration, because God knows how to party too. In the beginning of Revelation 19, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Later in 19 is the second coming. That's another phase of this whole thing that we're talking about. So it's very, very clear. No one knows the day or the hour when he's gonna come, but we do know it could happen at any moment. The question is, are you ready? Are you like that young Jewish Bride who's eagerly anticipating the day when her groom comes. Peter told us in verse 13, it's right there, hey church family, hey bride of Christ, set your hope fully on the wrath. No, a Christ-rejecting world gets wrath. Where is bride? Hey bride, set your hope, he says in verse 13, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you wanna see a good film that goes a lot deeper than I have time to go concerning the ancient Galilean wedding, um, you can rent or buy Before the Wrath. It's at Amazon, um, um, Amazon Prime. Um, I'm not sure if you can get it in other ways. But how many of you guys have seen this, by the way? Let me see your hands if you've seen it. One person, yeah, so I encourage you to get it and to watch it. It's a docudrama, it'll get you excited. and. Um, here, here, here's, here's what I know. They interview a lot of end time teachers and so I'm not saying that I agree with every teacher that's interviewed in everything that they've said in their private ministries or their, um, their, their own ministries but I do like the movie and I do encourage you to rent it and to watch it. As we, as the bride, as we wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's a certain character trait that's really important that this character trait is up and running in our lives. You say, what character trait is that? Well, look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, the idea there is the sinful passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter's quoting, obviously, Leviticus 11.45. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father, 
who judges impartially, right? The father, our awesome daddy, he doesn't have favorites, okay? And so, and if you call on him, you're praying to the father, don't forget this, he judges impartially, and by the way, this is in the context of living a holy life, he judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear, that's not being afraid or flinching because you think God's gonna hit you. No, this is fear, meaning you're in awe, you're revering the Lord. Conduct yourselves with awe, with reverence, throughout the time of your exile. All right, so if you're taking notes, since we're saved, number one, we should be hopeful about the future, but then number two, we really should be holy in the present. And you might say, yeah, you know, I'm feeling guilty because I did whatever I did, and when I walk out those doors, pastor, man, I'm gonna be holy, I don't care if it kills me. Here's what you need to know, it will kill you. You're gonna need some help. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But as we're talking about this whole thing of being holy, Peter tells us in verse 14 that as we're waiting for the revelation, verse 13, the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we're waiting as the bride for the groom to come, he he says this, in essence, don't go backward, go forward. Don't go back to the sinful passions of your BC before Christ's days. No, leave all that behind and move forward, verse 15, In holiness, holiness, that's a great word, but it's mocked in our culture today. We shouldn't mock it, we should embrace it. So what does it mean? Well the word holy means to be set apart from sin and to the Savior. And so going back to the Jewish wedding example, once the couple became betrothed, remember this? They were absolutely set apart just for one another. And then after the wedding ceremony, they were absolutely set apart exclusively for one another for the rest of their lives. It was an exclusive relationship. There's no other passions for this guy or no other passions, right, for this girl. No. The groom's heart was my Passion is for my wife alone. And and the bride's heart and and her attitude was, my passion is for my husband alone. And the love that they had for one another inspired them to be holy and to remain faithful to each other. Here's what I know, that if, if there's some sin in your life that's dominating you, over and over and beating you up, something I know, I know a lot of things, I don't have time to get into it, but one thing I know is that your passion for that sin is greater than your passion for your savior. You gotta switch that around. You got to get deep in a relationship with Jesus Christ where you realize that he's so real and he's so awesome and man, he's flooding my heart with his love and his peace and his comfort and his joy. There's no way, no way I'm going back to my BC days. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I am gonna be set apart for him. I love Chuck Swindoll's. I love Chuck Swindoll's. Um, By the way, another great, faithful guy toward the end of his life who looks like, man, this guy's gonna end well. I 
I like reading the older guys, and I like reading the dead guys who end well. He said, this is why marriage is sometimes called holy matrimony. A husband and wife separate from their former family commitments as they commit themselves to each other in a unique and intimate relationship. Well, guess what? Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that we're the bride of Christ. And so as the church, we have this amazing position. So if you're taking notes, as his bride, we belong to Christ, okay? So why are we holy? Well, let me start with position before I get to practice, okay? Why are we holy? Because we have this amazing position as the bride of Christ. That's why. And so I want you to see Christ's passion for his bride in these words of Paul to the Ephesians. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the who? Church. This is for you, everybody who's here right now. As Christ loved the church and gave. You know why? Because love gives. You're either a taker or you're a giver. People who love, give. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might, here's that phrase, sanctify her, set her apart. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church, his bride, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be, can can you shout the next word? Holy. Holy, and without blemish. And so Christ is so passionate for the church, he's so passionate for you, what did he do? He gave himself up for her. And not only that, he cleansed her with the washing of water with the word. And not only that, you know, he sanctified her. That means he set her apart for himself. Why? That he might present her to himself holy and without blemish. This is what theologians call positional sanctification. Your position is holiness because you're the bride of Christ. But how many of you guys really want your practice to match your position. I'll raise two hands. I really do. I wanna be real. (laughs) Not perfect, I just wanna be real. And so, whereas positional sanctification has to do with our position in Christ, practical or progressive sanctification has to do with our daily walk with him. And this is where sometimes it gets difficult. I mean, how many of you guys would admit marriage is hard, right? None of the guys even want to raise their hands anymore. They're just like, "Uh uh-uh. It's hard. We all know that if we're real and we have to admit it, it's difficult and we need a little help. And it's the same thing in our relationship with our groom in heaven as the bride of Christ. We need a little help. And so we're gonna shift gears, go to practical or progressive sanctification. If you're taking notes, well, we're holy because positionally as his bride, we belong to Christ. Nothing's gonna ever change that, by the way, because Jesus will not divorce his bride. But B, we are holy when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember when I 
started this off, this section of the message, and I said, you know, some of you are gonna go and you're gonna say, man, I feel guilty about whatever's going on, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be holy from this day forward, even if it kills me, and I said, it will kill you? It will, because you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be holy in your own strength. We all, me included, absolutely need some help. And so this is where the filling of the Holy Spirit comes in, all right? And so when we turn to Christ alone and receive him as our personal Savior and Lord, here's what I know. When we say yes as the bride to the groom, we enter this covenant relationship with him, and the Bible says the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. If you're new to Christianity, here's what you got to hear. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. He's not going anywhere. You are sealed to the day of redemption. Okay, so that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that's amazing, and that's awesome, but there's more. Not only is there in the indwelling of the Spirit, there's also the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about it right here. He says, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. That's BC day stuff, you know? So instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now why, why did he not say be indwelt with the Spirit? Because he's writing to Christians who are already indwelt. What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul said to Christians? That if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ? Okay, so all Christians are indwelt, but there's more. What is that? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Now obviously this is a figure of speech in the Bible. So what does it mean? Well just like you fill, if you can imagine a glass Fill it all the way to the top with water. So we need to say, Lord, would you occupy every area of my life? Would you fill every part of me? Would you so influence me? Would you so dominate me? Would you so, by your spirit, control me so that I accurately represent you? Because Lord, here's what I know, that too much alcohol too much alcohol causes people to lose control. Would you fill me with your spirit? Because we know the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Totally opposite from that nonsense. The fullness of the spirit. And by the way, how do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's how you know. The fruit of the spirit is being, uh, coming out of your life. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And so what I love about this verb, be filled, is it's in the present imperative passive tense. The Greek is such a descriptive language compared to our English. And so it's in the present tense, be filled, Christian. That means this should be a continual experience that you have. Whether you feel it or not, it's a continual thing. And it's in the imperative tense. That means it's a commandment. God says, Christian, be filled. Because it's the only way you're gonna be holy, by the way. And then it's in the passive tense. What does that mean? Listen to me. If you're with me now, say amen. It means you can't work it up. God's gotta bring it down. I see sometimes churches, right, and they try to hype up this emotional frenzy, right? Because they wanna work it up so they can be filled with the Spirit. They're so off base. It's nothing to do with that. 
No, it's a passive tense. I mean, he's got to do it. We just need to be compliant. We need to be yielded. We need to be surrendered to the Lord, open to the Lord, so that he can fill us and dominate us. If all this is making sense, can you say amen? amen. And so, hey, as Christ's bride, we're already in our position holy. But if you want your practice to match your position, if I want my practice to match my position, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can actually live holy lives. Verse 18, he says, knowing that you were ransomed. Now, how many of your translations, instead of ransomed, it says redeemed? Can I see your hand? How many, yeah, quite a few of you guys. It's the same word. I'll get back to that in a second. And so knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Okay, so if he's writing to Jews, he's talking about legalism. And if he's writing to Gentiles, he's no doubt talking about the foolish pagan religious practices. Knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, look at this, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. Well, how do you get to heaven? How are you redeemed? Verse 19, man, some of you guys, you're not sure whether you're saved or not. You got to read this and ask the Lord to speak to you. Look at this. How are we redeemed? Verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or, or spot. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. There was no afterthought. But he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, his bride. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So if you're taking notes, since we're saved, we should be hopeful about the future. And then we should be holy in the present. And then we really should honor the lamb, how often? <laughs> Always. We need to live lives of respect, reverence, worship, and honor to the lamb of God. I heard another celebrity this past week. You guys would all know his name if I said his name. And he went on the record and he said, there's not just one way to heaven, there's many ways to heaven. Listen, you either listen to the celebrities or you listen to the word of God. Because there's only one person who purchased your freedom, and that's Jesus Christ, nobody else. And so that leads you, by the way, if you're taking notes, to the next point, why should we honor the lamb? He paid for our freedom. He says it right there, in verses 18 and 19, that we're redeemed not by silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redeemed, have you ever sung this before? Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Now some of you are new to Christianity, so I gotta define the word. What does the word redemption mean? It means to liberate. Okay, so the inference there is that we're slaves. You know how I always talk about how you need to realize you're lost before you can get saved? 
okay? And so we need to realize that we're slaves. You say slaves to what? Slaves to Satan, Ephesians chapter two. Slaves to sin, slaves to the fear of death, all right? And so what's redemption? Thank God for his grace. That means to liberate, to set free by, doesn't come cheap, payment of ransom, payment of ransom. Abraham Lincoln is one of my favorite presidents, and for good reason. Whenever my wife and I go to D.C., we always make sure we go there to the Lincoln Memorial, and we always make sure we climb those steps, and whenever I get up there, I immediately go left, and I read the Gettysburg Address engraved on the wall. And I've been to D.C. lots of times. I remember, I think it was the very first time that I went I started to read that, and those of you who know me, you know I'm not emotional, but man, my, my tears, my, my, my eyes welled up with tears as I read the Gettysburg Address at the Lincoln Memorial. How many of you guys have been there? Let me see your hands, lots of you. It's a moving experience. And I love the fact that Lincoln said, and I quote, government cannot endure permanently, which is half slave and half free. And so when those southern states seceded from the Union and started the Confederate nation, by the way, a nation that boasted 3.5 million slaves. Some figures have it up to four million slaved people. When they did that, there was a bunch of people in the North that they said, we're willing to go to war. We're willing to go to war, number one, to preserve the Union, and we're willing, many of them said, we're willing to go to war to free the slaves. Now if you study Lincoln's life in detail, you know that at first, for him, it was all about preserving the Union, but you need to know that as time went on, Lincoln was fully, a thousand percent, on the bandwagon of freeing the slaves. I love the fact that on January 1st, 1863, Lincoln signed his Emancipation Proclamation, which was the beginning of the end of slavery. January 1st, 1863, it's been called the death knell of slavery. Yes, we should clap and thank God for a man like Abraham Lincoln who's willing to stand up and do that. And by the way, England got it right way before we got it right. Thank God for men like William Wilberforce who was in the minority for so many years and yet he kept standing for truth and finally the slave trade was abolished in the British Empire and finally we caught up to it because of men like Abraham Lincoln, who we rightly memorialize in D.C., who took a stand for what was right even when it wasn't popular. And I love the fact that on December 6th, 1865, so almost three years after he signs the Emancipation Proclamation, finally the 13th Amendment was ratified and slavery was finally officially abolished in our land. But here's what's sad. Eight months before the 13th Amendment was ratified, Lincoln shot dead, assassinated, killed for a cause. And when you think about the Civil War, in a way, it kind of reminds us of redemption. Why? Because there was such a high price to pay in order to set the slaves free. 
And ladies and gentlemen, this is part of our history. And yes, we should remember it, and yes, we should absolutely talk about it, because only fools ignore history, and people who ignore history are bound to commit the same mistakes and the same sins than those who actually study history. This is our past, and yes, we should talk about it. Do you guys know that over 360,000 Union soldiers died on the battlefield and off the battlefield. Over 360,000 Union soldiers dead. That's quite a price to pay to preserve the Union and to free the slaves. Now there's all these stories, right, about Lincoln's personal interactions with the slaves. And all of them are really hard to authenticate. But I do wanna share one with you. Um, It's told by author Steve Brown. And so it's said that Lincoln went to the slave market, apparently incognito, and he placed a bid on a slave woman. And so when she, can you imagine, can you imagine how horrible it would be you're standing at a slave market being sold like an animal? And no doubt when she saw, he had no idea who this guy is, this tall, lanky guy placing a bid She's probably thinking, this is just another guy who's gonna use me and abuse me. But Lincoln, after he won the bid and paid the price to purchase her, walked up to her and he made his intentions very, very clear. Supposedly, the conversation went something like this. He said, young lady, you're free. And she's like, what do you mean I'm free? He said, you're free. (laughs) She said, Does that mean I can go wherever I wanna go? He said, you can go wherever you wanna go. She says, does that mean I can be what I wanna be? He said, you can be what you wanna be. And tears welled up in her eyes and she thought about it and she said, well, you know, I think I just wanna stay with you. When this young lady realized that this man purchased her just so he could set her free. She was so moved by his kindness that she wanted to stay with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for our freedom. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, he purchased the price in order to absolutely set us free. And according to verse 20, it was not an afterthought. Hey, you're the bride of Christ. Hey, guess what? It wasn't an afterthought. It's kind of like, oh, oh, you know, John and, and Jill sinned, and so what are we gonna do about it? No, before the creation of the world, verse 20, you need to know in the eternal counsels of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, you need to know that they knew that the perfect, perfect, perfect world that they would create would become a fallen world because of our sinful choices. And they absolutely knew because of our sinful choices, we would become slaves to our sin and slaves to Satan and slaves to the fear of death. And so what did the three persons of the Trinity do way back before the creation of the world? What did they do? They came up with a foreordained plan to set you free. He knew your name. You're the bride of Christ. And so what did he do? 
What did the Father do? What did the Son do? What did the Holy Spirit do? They came up with a plan. What does the plan look like? Here it is. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. There's your plan. And anybody, I don't care if you're a celebrity or not, I don't care if you, everybody thinks you're so hot or not, anybody who says, well, there's many roads to heaven, you may as well just slap Jesus across the face. Because he alone paid the price for our freedom. God's son paid it all. And as Christians, we cannot give in to the culture that wants to politically correct, say, everybody's way is the right way. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. The penalty of sin, help me out, is what? And Jesus said, I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price for their freedom, and as the Lamb of God, they didn't have to force his arms down. He said, here you go, boys, nail me. God's eternal son, nail me to the cross. You know why? Because I love my bride and I'm gonna pour out my blood. I'll die so they don't have to die and go to hell. I'll die and I'll rise again and I'll defeat sin, I'll defeat Satan, I'll defeat this fear that people have of death. Has Jesus Christ set you free? If he has, people are gonna know because if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. I didn't say you're perfect, but you're free. And so I hope if Christ has set you free, I hope if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope that his kindness will so overwhelm you like the kindness of Lincoln to the slave woman. I hope you'll say something like this to Jesus. Lord, I know I can go wherever I wanna go, I'm free. But I think I'm gonna stay with you as a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Why should we honor the lamb? He paid for our freedom, he rose from the dead. I'm out of time, and so we're just gonna read verse 21 and wrap it up. You say, how do you know he rose from the dead? Uh, lots of eyewitnesses, that's how. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead. And by the way, over 500 people saw him alive after he had been dead, and over 250 of them were alive in the first century. Just go knock on their door if you're a skeptic, and they'll look you in the eye, and they'll tell you. That's, that makes it a fact of history. And so who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that's the ascension, so that your faith and your hope are in God. And so one day, ladies and gentlemen, I've got good news. The risen Christ, the risen groom, is gonna come, and if you know him, he's gonna shout for his bride. And I hope you have the white robe of Christ's righteousness, not self-righteousness. But if you've received him as your personal Savior and Lord, you'll have the white robe of Christ's righteousness and he's gonna take you and he's gonna bring you to his father's house and there's gonna be a great celebration because God knows how to party. The marriage supper of the lamb, no wrath for you, grace for you 
because we, as the bride of Christ, have a great, great salvation. So in conclusion, if you missed any points, we should be hopeful about the future because the rapture's coming and we're going to the Father's house. We should be holy in the present. Positionally, we are his bride, we're already holy, but practically we want our life to match our position, so we gotta have some help. We need to be filled, dominated by the Spirit, and then we should honor the Lamb always, because he and he alone paid for our freedom and proved it by rising from the dead, and all God's people said, <laughs>